You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Alora Rain and Kitty Fields. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, where we explore taboo and controversial topics in the witchcraft community. And be sure to pay a visit to my website at alorarain.com if you want to grab a tarot reading, numerology reading, and or soul origin profiles. Now on to the show. She calls to us in the midst of a thunderstorm. We feel her comforting, healing presence in the darkest moments. Her energy woven through the lines and angles of the Burkino rune. This powerful goddess of life and death hails from the ancient Alpine regions of our Celtic and Germanic ancestors. Her memory has been kept alive in the form of a Christmas hag, a leader of the wild hunt and of the Pershtin. Her name is Bershta, but she has many names and many faces as we will soon discover. So grab your cuppa and settle in for our first official episode in our deity series. Hey, hey. What up? Okay, so this is like your episode because I know that you and Barrister are like tight. Homies. We homies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is going to be kind of me extrapolating information from you, but also chiming in where I can. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing, yeah, and I think the first thing that I want to ask you is, do you think that Berstia's name is becoming more popular or on the rise in the current pagan community, or is she still more obscure? And how do you feel about her? I... I would love to say that her name is on the rise or that I've seen her name and pagan groups online or heard the name. I think she's still pretty obscure in a lot of ways. Mm. I think that if you, however, I think that if you currently live in Germany or Austria or maybe even Switzerland, you've probably heard her name in a different form or, you know, like some of the folk tales. So you might know her that way. But as far as like, the pagan community as a whole, I feel like she's pretty obscure still. A lot of people don't know who she is, which is unfortunate because she's pretty awesome. Yeah, I have to say, I don't, I mean, we're friends. And so I know of her because of you. But other than that, I, there's no information. Her name doesn't pop up a lot in any of the pagan groups that I'm in. So I would say that she's still pretty obscure. Yeah. And as we go along, well, I'll just let everyone know ahead of time that a lot of the information that I found on her took me a year of digging deep and 
and many long hours of trying to find actual legitimate sources on her. So that might be part of it too, because the information isn't really readily available. You have to really work for it. (laughs) Yeah. Which brings up another good point. You know, I, I wonder how many people listen to our podcasts and think, you know, wow, they just threw this together. No, a lot of these topics take a long time to accumulate information about. Definitely. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't know of anyone that we've just thrown together, but especially the ones that we, where we talk about certain spirits or deities or fae, it takes a lot mm-hmm. of research. And I think a lot of time, you know, getting to know these deities and spirits. Yeah, true. And I think half of what we talk about is experience based. And I don't think that you can emulate that or replicate that between any two people. So that's interesting no. as well. Right. That's true. Yeah. Cause your experience with the deity might be completely different than mine. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. But how do you feel about her? I mean, I, I started working with her a few years ago and she was kind of the sole deity that I was working with for a while, but Mm. since I've had other deities come into play and I feel like that's changed, that changes rapidly sometimes on my end. However, she's always, (laughs) (laughs) she's always around me and, and in my, some of my darkest moments, she, I feel her presence. Like she, she never has left me and I don't think she ever will. So we tighten. Yeah, right. I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like it wasn't, um, wasn't she the deity that you had me make you a deity candle for? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. I remember that because that was one of the coolest ones. (laughs) It was cool. I was, uh, cause I, the way that I craft them is very intuitive and I thought it was so cool the way that that one came out. Cause it was, uh, in a birch, uh, what do you call it? Birch bark vase that, which that was just amazing. I still have it, but the candles pretty much burn out. So, Hey, you can refill it. That's true. You can always order some wax and some container wax. And refill it. Good point. Good point. Touche. <laughs> okay. So let's dive a little deeper here and talk about who is Bershta exactly? Who are we talking about when we say, oh, Bershta, for people who don't know? Okay. Bershta is an ancient Germanic goddess who is, like we've been saying, kind of lesser known today. But at one point, her cult was very strong and widespread through the Alpine region of parts of Europe. She's a goddess, as I've also said, that I've worked with for a few years, and I always keep a place for her on my altar. Her vibe, to me, is very loving, nurturing, healing, very wise. She kind of has this, yeah, motherly aspect to her but also kind of like that witch mother that you always wanted to initiate you into the tradition, I guess you could say. (laughs) There's a, 
a lot of people in Austria and Germany that know her as a child eating hag who comes around during the winter holidays, which we're going to get more into this in a bit. But yeah, some of her image is, has been distorted over time. And I have just decided that like, (laughs) that's how you know that that particular deity was a popular and B was essentially denigrated by the church. Any yes. deity you come across that has a child eating feature, <laughs> that should be a red flag. <laughs> I think, yeah, absolutely. Because it was one that they could not conform or, or transform to their standards. And the, I think the cult, their cults were so strong, their followings were so strong that the only thing that the church could do was demonize them, scare people away from them. Right. And I like, we could do a whole episode on just the child eating aspect, because I find it interesting that it wasn't enough to say that a deity would eat you personally. Like it had to make it child focused. (laughs) Yeah. I'm serious because. No, I know. I'm laughing. It's a terrible thing to laugh about, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because the human beings, maybe, you know, like we would sacrifice ourselves on whatever alters for our children but not for ourselves which says a lot about human nature wait what do you mean i'm confused metaphorically yeah 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 okay i don't mean literally but i mean metaphorically we would do anything for our kids you know what i mean but then oh yeah so when you threaten you know somebody's person they're like, eh, it's whatever. But then when, you, when you're like child eating hag, they're like, wait a minute, you're not coming near my kids. Well, it's true because I, if I think about it as a parent, if someone like threatened me and they were like, I'm going to eat you, I'd be like, yeah, get in line, take a number. But, yeah. <laughs> but if they were like, I'm going to eat your child, I'll be like, oh no, like fight is on. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> This would be a good episode. It'd be funny. <laughs> kind of dark, you know, but also funny. You get that dark humor going yeah. anyway. Okay. <clears throat> so in this special deity episode, we'd like to talk about Berst's domains and qualities before getting into her lore and history. So this way our listeners will see her for who she truly is up front and not be clouded by what the church later painted her as. So why don't you go forth and inform us? <laughs> okay, sure. So Bersha is also known as the bright one or the bright lady. And according to Jacob Grimm, who actually is one of the lead sources on this goddess she appears often in teutonic or germanic mythology with long black hair worn in braids on the sides of her head and i think like princess leia here i don't know why but (laughs) (laughs) and like braids on the sides of her head anyway and she wears a long white gown And this Mm. is typically why she's been referred to as the lady in white or the bright lady. But I think that it also has to refer to her. It's kind of referring to her as having this bright aura about her. 
Mm. And unfortunately, in the later tales, she appears kind of the exact opposite of this as a like disheveled hag or elderly woman in like torn dresses. But in a different light, we could also see this as potentially this goddess taking on a triple goddess form. Of course, there's always that theory or that aspect to it. Hmm. And kind of how, I don't know if anybody else does this with their deities when they get to know them, but sometimes I assign a celebrity appearance to my deities. <laughs> makes it easier for me to like visualize them, you know, <laughs> not all of them, but, but for her, whatever, for whatever reason. And I think I might've even had a dream about this, but how I see Bershta is as the actress, Mary Steenbergen, if I'm saying that the right way. She's in a lot of movies, like comedy movies. She was in Step Brothers, the mother in Step Brothers. Um, she's been in like 30 Rock and like side roles, you know, kind of stuff. Orange is the New Black. Anyway, if you Google her, that's how I see Bershta. And we actually had a friend of ours, Laura, um, Melanie. I won't get the last name, but she's an artist. And she drew and painted a picture of Bershta using Mary Steenbergen as the inspiration for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. It's awesome I, painting. I yeah. don't find that I do that often, but I know that people do do that. And in fact, I think it was this last week or the week before. No, I think it was this last week. Somebody was talking about how in our green man episode, that's actually how, the green man came to them was the movie men in tights. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I read that. I thought it was, was awesome. Hilarious. I was like, that is so cool. And it's so fitting. Yes. The green man vibe. Like that would happen. Definitely. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So domains. So shape-shifting and forest guardian elaborate. So Bershta has been described in several different tales as being, as being part goose or inevitably having the foot or feet of a goose. Hmm. She also takes the form of a swan in some of the lore. And this basically indicates another of her attributes involving the protection of wildlife but also that she is a shapeshifter of sorts. Mm. This isn't a super far-fetched idea. I mean, in the pagan community, we know a lot of the ancient gods and goddesses were intricately connected with the animal world and were either shapeshifters or sometimes might've been even deified. Um, genius loci. Did I say that right? Genus loci? <laughs> genus loci. Mm -hmm. Okay, genus loci. So in this regard, Bershta is sort of a guardian of beasts, especially from the Alpine region. Any animals that are in that area are under her, fall under her domain. Hmm. And interestingly, both of these aspects kind of feed into one of her many guises as Mother Goose that we're going to talk about more later. Which I find this to be fascinating because we are also, so Bershta is in the Alpine region. And then not very far away from that, you've got Baba Yaga, Baba Yaga, however you'd like to say that. And she also has the feet 
of a, a fowl. Yes. <laughs> so that's it's very interesting. I know. I agree. And I think there's okay. some connections. There's been connections drawn between these two as well, uh, Baba Iga and Bersha. Yeah, I was going to say, because like, I don't think that you can, it seems like you can't have one without the other. Right. Right. They, they seem like two sides of the same coin, but in different areas. Right. I agree. Yep. Mm. Okay. So what about Bershta's protection of women, children, babies, that whole arena I, yes, I love this aspect about her. I just, it's just is, it is the essence of this goddess. Mm. But so she is known to hold a set of keys when she's been seen. And when they talk about her in the folk tales, she holds a set of three golden keys. And while the the tales don't tell us what that means, um, if you're a witch or an oracle or a pagan or what have you, you can automatically think, at least for me, I think the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Mm, that makes so, sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, three is the sacred number, right? So it could mean any number of things. It could also refer to land, sea, and sky, or, you know, uh, maiden, mother, crumb. we could apply it to many different, like, triple concepts, I guess. But to me, I think of it as life, death, or birth, death, and rebirth because she is also a protector of babies and mothers. Mm. And she's also a psychopomp. So meaning she's a guide for people, particularly children and, and women to the afterlife. Mm. Yeah. So she is also a deity of the home, which falls within the woman's women's domain and particularly of spinning (laughs) which is a chore we often see woven pun intended into (laughs) women's mysteries fate destiny Um, and it connects her to other spinning and weaving deities like freya and holda and even the norns right because i was gonna say what about the fates yes like what is her connection to that then Yes. And side note, I really would like to do at least a part of an episode on the norms and the fates and that whole mm. effect of weaving fate. And oh, anyway, I love that. Um, Just as a <laughs> side note between yeah. friends, um, I think like three golden keys should be your next awesome tattoo. Mm. That would be an awesome tattoo. Like skeleton. I was just key. thinking the other day, like I want another tattoo, but I'm not just going to jump into it, you know. <laughs> well, put Perfect this timing. in the in the idea bank. <laughs> yes, love it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, and also under kind of the female children mother domain, she is a goddess that grants prosperity and abundance to those that she deems worthy, to those that work mm-hmm. hard enough. And the legend goes that whatever you give to her will be returned to you many times over. Right. And I do believe that. Well, I mean, if she's over life, death, life, death, rebirth, Mm -hmm. also women and children, it stands to reason she would also have some fertility properties, which then is 
prosperity, abundance, etc. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Okay. So we also know that she is a psychopomp. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain that term to our listeners? Because some people out there might not know what that is. And then give some more detail as to who she is a psychopomp for, where we've learned this information, et cetera. Yeah. So this is going to get a little heavy. So I, you know, just to forewarn everybody, but it, it's important. And I think that it's just an important thing to discuss when it comes to, to Bershta. So she yeah, is, I think, hold on. Ahead. I think we should say trigger warning for anyone who's ever lost a child. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to not listen to this part. <laughs> yeah. And, and I have not lost a child, but even if you've almost lost a child, you know, it, it, it's hard to, to, to hear. So yeah, it is. There's definitely a trigger warning here, but so Abershta is a psychopomp. She's a guide to the afterlife, but she is known specifically to care for babies and children's souls. So mm-hmm. she gently, like a mother, leads them to the next life. And one tale of Bershta, I believe it's in the Teutonic mythology that Grimm wrote. There's a story about a grieving mother who spots her uh, recently passed little boy following a group of children along a hillside. The children are following this beautiful motherly woman wearing a white gown. The boy breaks away to address his sorrowful mother. He sees her, you know, standing off to the side and he decides to come and and talk to her. And in his hands, he shows her a bucket of water, which he says is her tears. And he tells her not to weep for him, for he is safe and sound under the white lady's watch. I have chills. Yeah, I know. I almost cried. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's deep and it's heavy, but it's, it is really important and it's also comforting, you know, it is. Uh, but the, like the reason that it's, I don't know that I have chills from it is I have my own experience losing a baby and is this, what you're describing is very similar Mm -hmm. to the things that I've seen. Wow. Which is freaky. Wow. (laughs) I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know that either until you started <laughs> talking. Yeah. And like I said, this, this information isn't out there on Google. Like this is, I had to, to sift through volumes of <laughs> mm. to find this, but this story always stuck out to me. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the first time I read it, I cried. And mm. so I had to write it down and, and remember it, you know? Um, but, you know, I just feel like, I don't know, that is very comforting to Mm -hmm. me as somebody who has lost a child yeah yeah okay (sighs) moving on yeah so in in addition to this though there's a lot of german folk tales that describe a beautiful lady dressed in white who mysteriously appears in the middle of the night to nurse babies so she cares for souls of children you know that have passed but also for the living Um, And then there's also um, legends that say that she protects different people. There's, there's people that have died from broken hearts. She's supposed to be their guardian psychopomp. She also cares for 
souls who lack people to remember them, which is really sad, but, but also again, like makes me love her more. And Mm. those who might have not received a proper burial. Hmm. So in this same regard, she's also been known to be invoked to ease the transition for ghosts who might even be bothering the living or just confused or what have you. She sounds like the pagan mother, Teresa. (laughs) What? No, you're right. It's a good point. I never thought about it like that, but yeah, she does like some really like amazing work now that I'm like, I I guess it never hit me. Like how awesome, like I knew she was awesome, but this is like, yeah, (laughs) I'm having a moment here to put it like that, but like, I don't even know a different way to describe that. Yeah. <laughs> she's, uh, I'm telling you, I don't feel like she gets enough credit. Like she just doesn't in the, in the modern pagan community. And I hope maybe that this episode will like drum up some interest because <laughs> she deserves yeah, it. Definitely for, for sure. And I think another aspect of her that we're about to get into, I think during this particular season mm-hmm. it's easier to be drawn to researching her and things like that because she is very much a winter slash yule presence mm-hmm. so tell us about that aspect of her well she it's funny because in her crone hag um aspect she is very much linked with winter and the whole Yule season. However, she's also very intimately associated with the spring season as a sort of earth or, you know, fertility, like rebirth goddess. So. Right. I just, I just feel like her Yule form is probably the most recognizable. Yes for people well, before we go into that i there's i recently realized it kind of just it struck me <laughs> pun intended oh my god that, <laughs> <laughs> that she is also very linked to storms thunderstorms particularly oh me, anyway. you're so corny i know it's ridiculous <laughs> this is why we're friends <laughs> i get this from my dad like my husband always laughs at me he's like oh my god you're so much like your dad my dad is like slapstick you know anyway comedy. Uh- <laughs> um, <laughs> so when i initially started working with Bersha, she came to me in the middle of a thunderstorm i had read her name Ooh. somewhere like the day before and it kind of stuck out to me a little bit but i was like you know i didn't you know And then one night, literally, literally lightning struck and it woke me up out of bed and I had her name running through my head as well as the rune for Kano. And yeah. And so for the longest, I said that wrong. Oh, that's okay. There's different ways. There's also like Burkana and people pronounce, depending on the, the region or culture, it's pronounced different ways. You're good. Don't worry. Okay. So for a long time, I didn't know why she had come to me in the middle of the storm, but after learning more about her, uh, being that she's a psychopomp, she's also a leader of the wild hunt, which is, mm. we've talked about it a little bit, but it's a godly procession that was thought to take place when thunderstorms rolled in. Mm. 
And basically these gods and spirits were coming to, you know, in a darker way to say it, collect souls, but really it was like a, a procession of like psychopomps coming to lead people to the afterlife. Mm. So it made sense to me then. I was like, oh, right. She leads the wild hunt. And that's like a whole thunderstorm parade. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to do, we're planning on doing like an entire episode on the wild hunt. And I think next season, Yes, which is going to be really interesting because there's a lot of comparative mythology with this concept that we can go into. Yes. I'm down. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. That'll be a fun one. I think. Okay. And what is this about? She also has shamanic aspects to her. So she has some pretty terrifying names when it comes to her later years. And once the church kind of took her and demonized her. And so some of her scary names include the iron nosed and the belly slitter. That's just gross. I know. And while this sounds terrifying to most of us, including myself, it, if you look at it from a lens of ancient pagan, I want to say it kind of is reminiscent of shamanic initiations. Mm. This is a theory and it's been put out by other people. I'm not the only one, but it's not, you know, it's not set in stone, but what I find intriguing is that the act of, uh, specifically the act of Bershta, this is kind of gross, but, and they say that she will slit your belly open and fill you with straw. So mm. some of the initiations that we actually discussed in a Mirror's Well episode, we're like constantly plugging ourselves. You notice this, we're like, go back <laughs> and listen to Mamir as well. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, shameless plug. So there was a whole episode on initiation. So you can go back and listen to that for real, the mirror as well. But we talk about how the initiate can go through a near-death experience. Well, and, most often, most yeah. back then, most often, and even today, well, I don't know. It depends on the tradition, but even today, right. a lot of shamanic traditions require right. a near-death experience. Yes. So with some of those experiences being either physically or sometimes metaphorically, whatever you want to call it, losing of limbs or even being disemboweled. Yeah. And then being put back together again. So what the church called bad people were people who might have rebelled or stuck with their original customs and therefore Bershta would slit their bellies open. To us, it sounds really scary, but this might be like a wink to shamanic initiation at some mm. point. As far as her iron nose that they talk about, there's a clear correlation with other ancient goddesses who are also demonized, including, oh, we were talking about her earlier, the well-known Hungarian or Slavic hag, the iron nose, Baba Yiga. Mm. I forgot she had that aspect of her too with the iron nose thing. Yes, yes, they're all interwoven. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it, I think we said too, you know, Baba Yiga lives in a house that sits on large chicken feet. <laughs> yes. 
And Bershta is known to sometimes appear with a goose foot or goose feet. So there's that link as well. Mm. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Spirit Nest. Spirit Nest is a warm nest for free-spirited individuals from all paths of spiritual practices, walks of life, and lifestyles. Pagans, Wiccans, witches, hippies, moon children, crystal lovers, healers, empaths, and the list goes on. Spirit Nest offers a wide selection of enchanted, high-quality, natural and affordable beauty and skincare lines, altar provisions alongside original artwork printed on clothing, home decor items, in addition to hand-picked quality lifestyle items. Visit spiritnest.com and don't forget to enter Oracle 10 upon checkout for a 10% discount on your witchy favorites. Okay. Yes. So now that we've talked about all the aspects of Barista. Oh, that was a lot. I know. <laughs> she is a complex lady. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're going to get into her origins, lore, and history. Yeah. So is she Celtic or Germanic? Could be either, could be both. Can you elaborate on that? (laughs) Yeah, it's, no one really knows. (laughs) Most sources will say that she is Germanic and most of the folk tales and lore of her comes from the Teutonic mythology, which comes from Germany. But there's some theories out there that she might be as ancient as some of the older Celtic peoples that were in that area, like before we were calling people Germanic people. Mm. so pretty ancient potentially but again we don't know so she could be both or or, you know either you know i feel like i feel like we're always saying that right whether we're talking about cultures or (laughs) is she a goddess or an elemental or an ancestor yeah exactly you know and i feel like I feel like this is why traditional witchcraft mm-hmm. and systems of witchcraft really puzzle me. Yeah. Is because nothing in those systems, everything is a finite answer. But then when I do research and look into history, lore, anthropology, et cetera, finite answers are hard to come by. <laughs> they absolutely, I think that you are right on the money with that. And it's not just with folklore and well, I'm not going to go there, but I, I will just say that the more, yeah, the more detailed I get into any topic, like I, I am the kind of person that I obsess on a topic and I have to know every single thing about it, like to the deepest level, if I really care about it, you know, 
<laughs> and I'm serious. I don't know what it is. It's just this something in me. I'm like, nope, I'm going to like, if I'm going to know about a disease process, I want to know down to the cellular level, what's happening and why is it happening? And could there be that, you know, I'm, that's just the kind of person I am, but you get into that and you're like, okay, this is definitely going to explain it all to me. And I'm going to know everything about it. And then you get down to that level and you go, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It like the more you read and the more you study sometimes, the less, you know, you know, like you're learning overall about it, but then you're going, but wait, there's more questions. So it, it's like that. I feel like just life in general is like that kind of the beauty of it too. Right. Exactly. Okay. So anyways, yeah, enough about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what are all of her names? So. We know that she's Bershta, but she's known by a whole lot of other names as well. Yes. So her name, Bershta, I'll just tell you real quick, translates, I think we already said, to bright or the shining one or the bright lady. And right. it's actually directly linked to the birch tree. So it's the same root of the word birch uh, as bersh, basically. Um, if right. you look up the etymology of the birch, it says to shine or bright mm. but some of her other names there's like a million and in the Teutonic mythology you'll notice that the name is always spelled differently so it makes it even more confusing but there's Bertha, Bertha, Barat, Pershta, Pershd, Frau Pershd, Frau Fast, <laughs> Peta, Perta Baba and Mother Goose as well and there's like many more. Huh. I yeah. just like Mother Goose. I know. It's simple. <laughs> we can uh, we can relate, you know. But anyway. Okay. Closely associated goddesses. So this is where it gets kind of fun. Uh, because some of these I haven't heard of. Some of them I have. Mm. So I don't know how you say the second one, but the first one is Holda. And is that Holly? No, it's actually Holla. Like, let me holla at your girl. <laughs> holla at your girl. <laughs> <laughs> let me okay. at you, girl. Well, it's spelled H O L L E. So, yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, so who, who are these ladies? These ladies, okay, so Bershta is in some theories a southern version or a southern Germanic version of the northern Germanic goddess known as Holda. When Holda is mentioned in German folklore, her name is sometimes substituted with Bershta and vice versa. When I actually inquired from a modern day German, that's in my family, um, mm -hmm. about Bershta, she confirmed that that she is still a part of their traditions over there. And it's her name is often synonymous with Holda or Hala. So Bershta, also known as Frau Bershta, is interchangeable with Frau Hala. And they both are known to shake out their feather beds, which creates the first snowfall each year in Germany. Oh, that's lovely. I know, right? So, you know, they'll say, oh, Frau Hala or Frau Bershta is shaking out their sheets or whatever when the first snow falls. Um, and the Hala aspect comes from Grimm's fairy tales. There's a tale of Mother Hala. 
She is a fairy godmother being who either punishes or bestows gifts on young women, depending on their honesty and work ethic. <laughs> yeah. So this fairy tale relates to older middle-aged tales of Vershta leaving everyday items as a reward, such as wood chips, which turn to gold for good, hardworking people. Hmm. And if you want to, here's another shameless plug. If you want to hear more about witches and fairy tales, <laughs> <laughs> particularly the mother Hala tale, we actually go into detail on that. I think it's like the second episode, the season, the fourth season. But interestingly, mother Hala stems from the Northern Germanic goddess Holda. And I love this. I don't know why I love this, but I do. The pagan women during the rise of the church were often called the unholden which meant that they were followers of Holda and basically assumed that they were also witches. Ooh, ah. But I'm like, I want to be an unholden and a green Jack's child. <laughs> okay. I just have to tell you this because I have no idea if there's any link at all or not, but I think it's funny. Ooh. So over here, um, one of the car manufacturers is called Holden. Hmm. And in America, the same, the same car manufacturer, I believe, is Ford. Interesting. Which I find interesting now that I'm hearing all of this. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Something to ponder on, right? Yeah. Cool. Okay. So the next one we're going to get into... Um, I'm laughing because <laughs> okay is Wahlburger mm -hmm. but this isn't like Wahlburgers no that's a reality show with Mark Wahlberg and his brother <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay so I don't have make a me break out into like a new kids on the blocks <laughs> in KOTB forever I had sheets when I was five hey look I had my only <laughs> friend birthday party as a child was when I was eight and it was a sleepover and it was all in KOTB. Okay. Who was your favorite? What? Who was your favorite? Jordan? Um, no, it was the other Wahlberg. <laughs> well, Jordan wasn't a Wahlberg. It was Donnie. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh boy. How do we get on? New kids on the block. Oh, okay. We, we went to Wahlburgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Wahlburga or Wahlburga, I don't know how you pronounce it, is a goddess that I recently learned more about through a book we actually both have called The Night of the Witches. By Linda Radish. Yep, exactly. So Walpurgis Knot or Walpurgis Knight is said to be named for a Saint Walburga, but upon deeper research and examination, we find she may have been uh, the saint that took the place of an earth goddess named Walburga, who was also a witch and a forest fairy queen. Of course, she was a fairy queen. Everybody's a fairy queen. Of course. I mean, like... There's a lot of them apparently running around the forests. Okay, so, and I kind of, I see this though, as a very similar story to St. Bridget taking over for the goddess breed. Mm, yeah. Taking over, that but you know sense. what I mean? That whole progression or whatever, digression, however you want to say it. Right. Regression. 
<laughs> regression, <laughs> suppression, whatever. So, um, oppression. <laughs> <laughs> so, but interestingly, uh, there's some speculation that this Walburgia earth goddess might have once been Bershta. She also wears all white and has a golden crown and known as the white lady or the bright one. Hello. Sounds exactly like Bershta. Mm. She carries a spindle, again, another Bershta feature, but as well as she carries a triangular mirror. Oh, but now that I'm thinking about it, three, right? Kind of like the three keys. Mm. Yeah. And in some tales, she is literally the grain or the earth personified, which I thought was cool. Hmm. And there's a tradition for making corn dollies in parts of Germany, and they call them Walburgia. Hmm. I know. I love all this. And interestingly, she is thought to appear before a death in the family, which is very reminiscent of the Banshee. I think. You know, I was thinking about this too. And I think that we need to do an episode on fairies in different cultures because the fae and the elementals when we think of them when we talk about them nine times out of ten we're talking about the celtic landscape Mm -hmm. um or at least starting there but the fae are prominent throughout the world they just aren't don't go by the same names oh yeah yeah, I think they're real prominent in the Norse Germanic traditions too. But yeah, they, they oh, don't yeah. call them fae. They call them elves and dwarves and everything else, right? Oh, well, they're they're even in the, you know, Japanese and, and Chinese oh, yeah. lore as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're not just a Western feature. No, definitely not. Okay, continue. Okay. Well, I think that pretty much sums up Walburgia, but there's other goddesses and figures that Bersha has been linked to another Mm. one is Freya so some speculate that Freya might have been kind of the forerunner for Bersha and the Norse tradition we know that the Norse you know at at some point came to um, Germany and there's some like Saxon relations there Mm. but anyway so Freya shares similarities with Bersha they're both also leaders of the wild hunt in later years alongside of Odin or Woden. And they both lead a horde of witches to the Brocken, which is a peak in the Hartz Mountains of Germany, to celebrate Walpurgis Night. Ooh, ah. Yeah. They're both called Queens of the Witches and in those times after the church had, had taken hold, anybody who followed them were deemed witches and evil, etc. Of course, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She's a witch. She's evil. She loves Bershta, whatever. And <laughs> of course, we have to talk about Mother Goose a little bit more. Yeah. I, again, I love Mother Goose. We've talked about this. You love Mother Goose. Who doesn't love Mother Goose? Yeah, Mother Goose was like my bedtime stories as a kid. Geese are a-holes, though, before being true, completely honest about it. I was attacked by a flock of geese as a child. And I wonder now <laughs> if that has something to do with Bersha, but anyway. <laughs> so some believe Mother Goose, I'm serious, I know. It, it, anyway, 
So I believe Mother Goose is a more modern version of Mother Bershta. Bershta was flanked by geese and her northern counterpart, which we talked about before, was Holda, who often wears a goose down cape. Hmm. So Bershta shakes out her goose down blankets to create the first snow each year. As we said, she has a goose foot or goose feet in many of the tales. And because she's a guardian of children and a guide of the baby souls into the afterlife, I feel like that good memory of her was kind of passed down in the form of an old woman who kept these children's stories alive in the form of Mother Goose. So we mm. have that like Christmas hag aspect, but there's kind of a nice aspect of her kept in Mother Goose. Right. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so did Bershta have any consorts, lovers? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as far as we know, she rode beside Odin or Woden um, as a leader of the wild hunt during the Yuletide season and many of the tales. But there was also a deity named Berstold or Bertold that hmm. sounds a lot like her name that was also a leader of the wild hunt but his name is a lot lesser known than obviously odin interesting yeah so one of the things we said probably at, at the towards the beginning was if there's child eating assigned to a deity the the, the probability that that deity was very prominent among paganism is high. So can you tell us about Bershta's cult back way back in the day? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously they took this beautiful, you know, healing, magnificent goddess and had to turn her into a crooked nose, belly slitting witch and a leader of the Pershton. Because mm -hmm. as we said, if you couldn't, if we couldn't take her and make her into a saint, they, they had to demonize her. I think because her cult was so prominent, but right. um, yeah, there were tales of her after the fact that in which she captured children and ate them. And a lot of the tales were very similar to the horrific tales of Krampus. Mm. You know, she becomes this Christmas hag who was stuffed kids into her giant sack. And if she was displeased with her offerings on the night of the epiphany, she would slit the person's belly open and stuff him or her with straw. Her, hmm. But I think that, that her ancient link to the winter solstice couldn't be snuffed out. So the church, again, had to frighten the new converts into believing that she was a demon. Hmm. And it, this isn't just a theory. This is a fact. I've confirmed this. The cult of Bershta was outlawed in Bavaria in the year of 1468 in a document called the Thesaurus Papurum, Papurum, excuse me. And actually leaving her offerings during Christmas time was forbade and documented by church officials in the same century. You can look it up. You can actually look that up online. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, I was like, wow, like she must've been really, really popular. This was 1468. This was long after people, you know, conversion had started and people were still celebrating her. Mm. 
Yeah. It's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, it's, I'm glad that her memory has been kept alive in some way or another, even if it's bad or not, but it is sad that like those amazing aspects of her, you know, have gone to almost gone to the wayside. Well, it's like, we're here to suck all the fun out of your life. <laughs> you cannot oh, leave yeah. any offerings. <laughs> no, no offerings, no parades. Ooh. Well, people did it anyway, like obviously. Obviously. <laughs> okay, so now we can talk about Bershta as the Christmas witch. Yes. The okay. demonization of the bright mother. But yeah, yeah she was the, uh, we've been saying it, she slits bellies, she fills them with straw, she kidnaps. Um, mm. <laughs> but in, in the same season, she's also ensuring that women are doing their chores, particularly spinning. Hmm. And I think this has to do again with spinning of fate and destiny and the women's mysteries. Women would yep. sit at the, and spin and they would kind of go into this trance and they would connect to the divine. I think that's a big part of, of spinning. Yeah, right. So just out of curiosity, do you sew or crochet or needlepoint or any of that? Oh my God, I can't. Okay. This is funny that this is coming up. I currently do not i actually went to design school when i was uh 19 and 20 i dropped out i'm a design school dropout but um <laughs> it's funny that this is being brought up because my daughter just today said I, you know i think i want to learn how to sew and i was like oh really i was like cool i have a sewing machine and like patterns and all this stuff you know that i haven't brought out in a long time and she's actually down there i think right now watching uh project runway <laughs> Well, I was just curious because since you or since Bershta came into your life I, and she has this prominent spinning aspect, yeah. I was just curious if she inspired you to do any of the, any type of thread work or yarn work to actually physically make cloth and woven things. I made a kitchen, which while when I first started working with her which is, I still have it in my kitchen. It's a pretty cool little poppet, but no, I, I'm like one of these people that I start a hobby and then I'm like, eh, and then I like, let it go. I don't know. <laughs> but I will say this. I do keep a tiny little spinning wheel on her altar. It's, mm. I literally just found like a doll furniture spinning wheel. Use that as a representation of her, you know, to honor her. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hmm. It's all furniture, people. Who'd have thunk? You can use it as altar decor. <laughs> okay. Back to our regularly scheduled program before I derailed us. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're like in coffee world and I'm over here in wine world. Uh... Tomorrow is Good Friday, so my kids have off of school. Oh, yes. It's, it's Thanks, Good Friday Jesus. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess I should talk about this quote from uh, this author named Lux Farah on Occult World. But uh, he says she was an immensely popular goddess 
And so post-Christianity, she was aggressively demonized by the church as the queen of the witches. She evolved into a boogie woman, a bogey woman, still invoked as a threat to make children behave before Yule. She allegedly punishes bad children, but gives gifts to the good ones. And people were told to baptize their babies because otherwise they'd end up in Bershta's realm, not in heaven. Awful. Hmm. She is among leaders of the wild hunt, which we've said, and usually leads a parade of unbaptized babies. So. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, so this whole baptizing babies because they'll end up in Berishta's realm. Does that mean that she is like the, pres- she presides over purgatory? <laughs> kind of what they're alluding to, I would think. Uh, I don't mean to laugh, but it's kind no, of funny. It, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous, honestly, like the way. Right, that, which is why I'm was laughing. so systematic what they, the church did, you know, like I'm, I'm Listen, if you're, if you go to church, I'm, I'm all good with it. I'm just saying like this, these are the facts. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, the pagans weren't killing each other back in the day too. No, because everybody no, no, was no. Doing it, you know, no, this is more talking about the mechanism of conversion. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. The Pershton. Yes. So we've said that she is the leader of the Pershton and I guess, shameless plug um we did talk about (laughs) it we did talk about it in our dark side of yule podcast uh over on memoir well last season but maybe you can give us a little summary recap of what the parish gen are and do yes we need to have one of those little counters like that's like shameless plug ding like each time we say that (laughs) we need a sound like we need yeah yeah so all right, so the Perishton. In addition to Bersha becoming this frightening Christmas witch, her people, her consorts, whatever you want to call them, her friends became these terrifying demons known as the Perishton. <laughs> to this day, there's a tradition of dressing in hideous masks and taking part in parades around the Christmas holidays in Bavaria, Germany, specifically near a national park, or I don't know if it's national, whatever, park called Berstus Garden. There's also parades in Switzerland and Austria. This parade sometimes happens alongside of Krampus parades. And the people believe it's an old folk tradition to scare away winter ghosts or to scare away, you know, negative energy, etc. But I think that the Perishton scare away more than the ghosts because if you've ever looked up a Krampus or Perishton parade, it's pretty, it's awesome, but it would be frightening like as a child specifically. (laughs) (laughs) It's on my like bucket list. See one of those live one day. There's one that I I remember saying that there's one not very far from you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. In Orlando. Actually it's, it's on my list and my German family members list to go check that out. (laughs) Okay. So we've talked a lot about Berstas, lore, history, stories, likenesses, etc. All of that. So now 
I'd like for you to get into the specific the specifics of working with Bershta. So can you tell us more about like her sacred days, her sacred places, her associations, correspondences, all that type of stuff? Yes. So I feel like you're going to, first of all, you will feel her presence in the spring, but her winter is really like a big season for her. Mm. The Yule or winter solstice is at one point, it, this whole season was much longer than a day or two. It spanned a period of at least 12 days. And I think before that, it might have been an entire month or even the whole season. So really, the whole winter season is a great time to work with her. But she has a specific day, which is called Berstentag. It's hmm. her, it literally means Berstentag's day, but it was turned into the Feast of the Epiphany, which is January 6th, 6th excuse me. The night preceding is called Berstenach, if I'm saying this right, uh, which means Berstenach's night. During this time, people would set out her favorite meal on the rooftop as she was believed to fly over on this night, granting prosperity to those who were worthy and basically to those who gave her a meal, I guess, a free meal. Hmm. <laughs> and so some of her sacred... Can you hear me? Oh, you cut out there for a second. I can hear you now. Sorry, I hit the mute button by accident. (laughs) (laughs) So some of her sacred places. She's said to live in a subterranean palace with a beautiful garden where she welcomes the souls of children who have died. She also has other homes in hollow mountains. Cool. I want to go there. I know, right? I had a dream actually about her and she was tending this garden and it was this whole thing. And I didn't even realize that in the lore that she has this garden, but side note. Okay. Bavaria, Germany is believed to have been her center of worship. And there's mm-hmm. actually a park there called, like I said, Berstes Garden, which means Berstes Garden. But surprisingly, a lot of sources online don't even relate it back to her. I don't know why. <laughs> of It'd course be pretty not. obvious, but and there's also a lot of springs near Salzburg named for her. Mm. area so runes and symbols Bercano is her rune it relates directly to her name as well as the birch tree but it's also a rune of motherhood the mountains healing and just goddess energy in general Mm. and obviously the three keys we talked about she wears a belt with three golden keys hanging from it which we believe represents the three cycles of birth death rebirth Mm. her animals I have so oh hang on yes wait a second do it go I have go. so many theories at this point about why Bershta always seems to be present for you which really? when we when we end this I'll share those I would love to hear it because I she's important to me and I I don't want to like, I feel like I've done a lot of research on her that a lot of people don't even know, you know, and I wish that this stuff was more out there, but. Well, maybe it's, you know, one of your, I don't know, um, callings, one of your spiritual goals to permeate that information, maybe in a book format. I, I felt that way when I was doing all this research and writing my, my article, if you look up Bershta, the goddess is like number two on Google, like 
besides Wikipedia, of course, but <laughs> because no one writes about her. Right. Right. But there's people, that's there's no, people that I don't have written about it. her, but not to this length, you know? Okay. Yeah. That sounded not like a one and two, but you know, I'm saying no. I, not to yeah. say that you're not a fabulous writer because you are, but I'm saying that she's so obscure. Right. That's the that, like, that I was making too. Right. So there's yeah. not a lot. You have to, like I said, you have to dig for the information. It took me, I had to sift through Teutonic mythology, which is four volumes of a lot of information. Yeah. Nothing is indexed, you know, nothing's so. Yeah. Right. You can't, it's not like an encyclopedia. <laughs> no, it is not easy. Okay. You have to read through it all. And you're like, wait, is this her? And they're all spelled different anyway. Yeah. Okay, so for animals, <laughs> no, that's okay. There's so anything, I feel like any alpine animal is under her domain, but specifically the goose, the swan, which those are obvious, I feel like, but there's also the owl, the wolf, the fox, goat, cricket, and dog that all relate to her as well. I don't know where the cricket comes in. I can't find a link to that. Hmm. But a lot of people say that it's related to her. So maybe there's a folk tale that I'm missing. But as far as food and offerings for her, she likes bread, cheese, milk, meat. Who doesn't like all these things? Unless, you know, you're a vegan. That's okay too. Um, Eggs, wine, water, fish, gruel, which is a type of like forage, I believe. And as well as pastas. Yeah. (laughs) Well, won't be making gruel anytime soon. <laughs> no, me either. But hey, you know. She also has some sacred plants and trees. The birch, which is synonymous with her name. As we've said, it's obviously sacred to her. It interestingly has a long folkloric tradition linked to witches. And hmm. according to hmm. author Linda Radish, Radish, the uh, birch has some interesting history. She says the primeval spirits tangled among the birch twigs helped to raise a broom in the air and keep it there it is no wonder our ancestors associated birch trees with both witches and flight the birch acts as a host to a hallucinogenic fungus which in turn causes a twiggy outgrowth known as the witch's broom Ooh. i know it's really cool and I want to just mention, if you've ever seen a birch tree, it basically has eyes all over it. Like it's watching you. Yes. Yeah. But it, but the bark is so beautiful. It, oh, it's gorgeous. It's not creepy at all. It, it, to me, when I was working with her, I went out West and there was birches and aspens all over and they have all those little eye, you know, like the eye kind of whatever mm-hmm. in the trunk. And I found it oddly comforting. Mm. her other sacred plants are evergreens flax and wild berries okay i'm just thinking don't eat wild berries oh no (laughs) i I didn't say to eat them i'm just saying that they're sacred to her just just pick just you know pick them with gloves on and then Put them on listen, your listen, if we Don't say a plant, that doesn't mean to go eat it. Okay. That's true. We're not responsible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Goodness gracious. Okay. So, so we've talked a lot about researching Berishta and how 
difficult it was for you. So do you have any resources for anyone interested in learning more about Bersha that may be easier for people to access if, mm. as far as her lore and, and history and, and uh, stories? Go? I'll give you my best, but if you really, like if you're being called to work with her, you might have to go through Jacob Grimm's Teutonic mythology because that's that's who has the most stories on her. They're very spread out. Her name's spelled differently. It's going to take you a while, but but it, right. it's an enriching experience. I also have an article on otherworldlyoracle.com on Bershta. Yep. And there are some German and Swiss books on the Perishton, which I feel like would be really helpful, but you'd have to know German or find a translation of which I've yet to find. And I don't want to ask my German family member because she'll look at me sideways and be like, you have to learn German. <laughs> <laughs> there's also Grimm's fairy tales specifically the tale of mother Hala that relates to her that we talked about mm. and books like the old magic of Christmas and the night of witches by Linda Radish yes she's one of our new favorite authors she's amazing yeah and not like I am finding more and more that I am less attracted to books on witchcraft and more attracted to. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think books on folk, I've been like that for a while. I like the more folkloric sources and, and yeah. Well, not just that, but I just feel like a lot of modern pagan text is just the same stuff over and over. Regurgitated. Yeah. Right. So looking at it from different aspects, like folklore, history, et cetera, gives different, I don't know, perspectives or angles kind of on the same. It really is. Yeah. Because then you can, I mean, it, it, it took me a long time, like I said, to sit through Teutonic mythology. There's four volumes of it. They're very thick texts. It's, you know, it's not easy. It's not an easy read, but it's enriching in the fact that you're learning things that that aren't written about in modern books and then you're taking these things and you're interpreting them for yourself you know like that's how I learned about Bershton the three keys and I kind of interpreted that like the you know the life death rebirth cycle like it's just more yeah it's more enriching it's more it'll stretch your mind and 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 your path I think a little bit more than just reading 101 books I guess right or things that are modern experiential yeah more than you know uh ancient or older historical inform informative texts yeah I agree because I mean I think that the deities can evolve you know with the time oh, yeah. people and everything but it is cool to learn more about their origins and the people that worshiped them back then or honored or whatever you want to call it back then where, where these deities kind of sprang up and yeah. It is pertinent to remind everyone that this was the first episode in a series that we're doing specifically on particular deities because we can go into so much more detail focusing on one deity at a time than we can say if we're choosing a theme and talking about the deities that fit that particular 
theme, like I agree. goddesses yeah. of war or goddesses of love, you know, you only get to scratch the surface, but I feel like hopefully in these, uh, singularly focused podcasts, we're getting into real depth. All right. And if you'd like to wrap us up, I think we've done old Bershta well. Got you. I hope so. We would like to give a big otherworldly thank you to all of our listeners, whether you are new or returning. Stay tuned next week for another episode of Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.